But first, we start with the Canada-U.S. land border finally reopened for southbound travelers now. Fully vaccinated Canadians allowed to drive across the border into the United States again. I've got expert Len Saunders standing by on that. But first, have a listen to this report now from Global News. Been waiting 20 months to get back to our uh, winter home in Casa Grande, Arizona. Looking forward to the border opening uh, tonight at 9.01 because it's 12.01 Eastern time. Came over on an early ferry because the ferries were booked up all day. I'm from from Victoria, as I said, on Vancouver Island. And uh, yeah, I just thought it would... uh, I thought there's going to be a huge lineup here. We got here pretty early. We've been waiting for this time for over a month now uh, to cross and see my new daughter-in-law who lives in Seattle. Okay, there's some of the people who are in the lineup as the border reopened. Uh, the border crossing been fairly quiet, though, since then. Maybe one of the rules, that PCR test that you're required to show, a negative COVID test to get back into Canada. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Len Saunders. Len is an immigration lawyer. He's based just across the border in Blaine, Washington, and it's always great to have him on the show. Len, thank you for coming on today. No problem. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this. So this has been a, a day that's been a long time coming. What's it been like at the border? It sounds like it's been fairly slow to start here, huh? Well, so it's interesting. I actually was watching the cameras starting at about 4.30 yesterday morning because I was just interested to see, like, how many people would actually take advantage of this new reopening. So there was quite a substantial lineup that started, like, 4, 4.30, and it probably, this is Peace Arch, it probably went all the way back up to duty-free, uh, which is, you know, about a half mile. And it stayed like that until kind of mid-morning, and then it just absolutely died. There was no cars after that point. So yeah. I think that initial rush came, and now it's kind of back to most Canadians don't want to come down here because they're concerned about returning and having to do the uh, negative PCR COVID test. Right. And that, of course, only applies to people traveling north into Canada, right? Like when, you know, the Americans don't require the same test to get into these states, correct? So the Americans only require a negative COVID test if you fly into the U.S. Driving, there's never been a requirement for a COVID test. How weird. What do you think of that requirement? There's a lot of pressure on Canada now to drop that requirement for that that PCR test to get back into Canada because it can be expensive, right? I mean, you're talking maybe, I've heard reports, 200 bucks or maybe even more to get one of those tests. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. So like myself, I'm Canadian. I have a wife. I have four kids. If I was to come up to Vancouver for a day, it'd be $1,200 in (laughs) tests just to enter Canada. Yeah, I mean, that's a deal breaker for a lot of people. No wonder it's so quiet. Man, there's there's nobody going down and filling up their gas tank if they've got to pay for those tests. Forget it. Right. Oh, absolutely. And so I think yeah. I think the Canadian government at some point is probably going to rethink, you know, the whole COVID test, especially when you can have the test done in Canada, come down here for two days and then go back. What's the point of having the test? You could catch it while you're down here and they would never know. Well, yeah. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Speaking to Len Saunders, immigration lawyer in Blaine, Washington. So, Len, someone asked me yesterday, okay, let's say you travel down to the United States. You're saying, okay, I'm going to, I'll get the test, no problem. And then you get down there and, uh uh-oh, the test comes back positive. You've got COVID, but now they're in the United States. What happens when you show up at the border and try to get back into Canada and you've got like a positive test? Will they let you into Canada? Well, I'm not a Canadian immigration lawyer, and I haven't been north for a month and a half, or sorry, a year and a half. I'm assuming 
but you can't be denied entry going back into Canada. You just have to quarantine for 14 days. Yeah, yeah. Like someone told me, well, okay, they'll let you back in, but you got to show them my uh, convincing quarantine plan. Absolutely, and that's... Yeah, so that's what's preventing a lot of people from coming down because they're concerned if that happens to them in that slim chance, what are they going to do? And most people can't quarantine for 14 days and jump through all the hoops. So, you know, I just, I don't think you're going to see the traffic like you saw before COVID um, until all of these restrictions are eliminated. Okay, what happens when you get to the border? Of course, you have to be fully vaccinated. Are they checking everyone, or is it just random checks on your vac- proof of vaccination they're asking for? How's that working? Well, so before yesterday, what CBP was saying was they were going to do a self-declaration at the border, so everybody was going to be asked if they're double vaccinated, right. and they were going to do random checks. Um, so maybe you know one out of every hundred people gets sent inside, I was actually on a tour of the Peace Arch on Friday, and I asked the question, so if someone says they're vaccinated and they don't have proof, what's going to happen? And they said, we don't know. They didn't even know the details on Friday on how they would handle an unvaccinated Canadian. What's surprising is I had four clients who drove through the local ports of entry yesterday. All Can- Actually, sorry, one was British. Three were Canadians. One was sent into secondary for something else, just for a visa. None of them were asked if, they're, if they've been vaccinated. So they're mm. not even asking applicants at the ports of entry. Okay, but if it's random, you're not necessarily going to be asked, though, right? They were supposed to be asking every single person at primary when you drive up, and they were going to be randomly sec- sending in people to secondary to check. To do oh, contact. I got you. So they're not even asking you up front? No. Oh, I was wow. shocked. Okay. I, couldn't, I couldn't believe that they're not even asking Canadians if they're vaccinated. All right. Welcome back to the show as we continue talking about the Canada-U.S. land border reopened again for fully immunized Canadians to travel south. Remember, you have to have that negative COVID test coming back, though. My guest is Len Saunders. Immigration lawyer in Blaine, Washington, 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Seema in Burnaby. Hi. Hi, Mike. Uh, hello, Len. My question is, I was dumb enough to book a vacation to Vegas for four days in December. I'm flying to Vegas. Now, I'm not sure how many tests do I need. Is it worth going or should I just cancel? I read over and over on government sites, but honestly, I do not understand how many uh, tests I need. Okay, she's flying to Las Vegas in December, Len. So if she's flying from Vancouver Airport, she'll have to get a test. And there's actually a place right at the airport where most people get it. It's done within about 20 minutes. Coming back, she'll have to get another test. And it's interesting because I was in Vegas about a month ago for a client's interview, um, a Canadian becoming an American. And I took an Uber. And when the taxi driver heard I was originally from Vancouver, he said, oh, I just had a couple who flew in for the Raiders game. And he goes, their first stop was to get a COVID test. So they'd be ready to go back in two days. And he was just shaking his head saying, that's ridiculous having to get a COVID test to go back to uh, Canada. Well, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, if you're desperate to get down to to Vegas, I guess those are the rules of the rules. Seema, thank you for the call. Enjoy your trip if you go. Mike in North Van. Hey, Mike. Hi. Um, I recently traveled to Phoenix and met several friends from Alberta. 
Uh, you can use a rapid test to fly to the States. The cheapest rapid test I could find in Vancouver was $115. My friends in Alberta all paid 40 or $45. On the okay. way back, we were all able to get free PCR tests in Phoenix. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. What do you, Len, what do you think of that? Well, I know, I know some people are able to get free tests through insurance. Like, I could get a free test through my insurance company. So I don't know uh, how they're getting it for free, but I know it's hey, available. Well, let me ask Mike. Mike, you still there? Yep. How did, how did you get the free test, the free PCR test in Phoenix? Some people went to CVS, and uh, we went to the, some of us went to a community college that had test sites all over Phoenix. They're doing a study. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess if you if you uh, hunt around, maybe it, maybe it's possible. Mike, thank you for the call. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898, toll free on your cell. David and Delta. Hi, David. Hi. So I'm a, a, a dual citizen, U.S. and Canada, and I was recently in the U.S., and there are two drugstore chains, like the previous person mentioned, and you can get a free test there. You just you have to book it online. It takes a day or so to to get a booking, and it takes about uh, it's just a drive-through, and it it takes just uh, two minutes to get the test, and then wait twenty minutes up to it could be as long as twenty-four hours, but you will get the result, and it's free. And I so I don't understand why in Canada they're charging two hundred dollars. Okay, I don't let, know if it's government-subsidized okay. or, or what. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, CVS, uh, the previous caller also mentioned that, is, is a big drugstore chain uh, in the United States. Len, what, what are you hearing on this? Like, is it possible to get these free tests at a drugstore? It's really hit and miss. So I know down in Bellingham, you can go to Walgreens, and they'll get it to you in like 20 minutes. But the problem is it takes days to get an appointment. So if you're mm-hmm. organized ahead of time, then, yes, it's possible um, but it's really hit and miss. Like I've had some people, like the caller said, say, you know, I've had it done for free. Now there's no CVS in this area. You're looking at further south. It's interesting because I think a lot of these pharmacies, they're actually paid by the federal government for these tests because they're encouraging people to get tests. Now, you know, are they asking for proof of status in the U.S. if you're an American or a visitor? I don't think so. So I think some people can find the free test if they look hard enough. The other thing you have to be aware of, though, is when the test result will come back, right? So you don't want to get stuck if your test result is delayed, and then you've got to head to your flight, and you don't have the test in hand. I mean, I've heard stories like that, too. I hear them all the time. Uh, My daughter was at a law conference in San Antonio, and there was a Canadian down there, and they had problems flying back. They couldn't get on the flight from Seattle because it had been more than 72 hours. So she had to rent a car and drive north. I hear that all the time. Back to the phone lines, Derek in Cloverdale. Hi. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, I went down yesterday um, to do my Trader Joe's and Freddie Myers run and yeah. uh, came back because I was positive. I had COVID in September, so I, all I did was produce the positive test result, and they let me through. It was no wait either way. Um, Nexus, they didn't ask me for it, but I was double vaxxed, took my Nexus card and the arrive can app was a bit clunky, but it was it was okay. Okay, hang on, a, hang on a sec. So you showed them proof that you had you had COVID. Yep. And they accepted what natural right. like? Okay, tell me that again. Like, why would they accept that? <laughs> um, 
coming back into Canada. It's on the government website. You're 100 between 14 and 180 days if you have had COVID and you're positive. You can produce a positive test result proof. You're good to go. Okay, Len, is that correct? Uh, I've been told that I'm more interested to know what was was he asked when he entered the U.S. driving whether he was double vaccinated. Derek, were you asked? Were you were you asked if you were vaccinated? My Nexus Nexus card and said where where am I going and I. I had to go to a mailbox spot in Blaine to look for a book that was sitting there for two years, but <laughs> couldn't find that. And <laughs> but yeah, no, I did did the research on that because it's it's. Uh, so they didn't. So they did not ask you if you're vaccinated when you're driving south over the border. Is no. that right? No. Okay. Does that surprise you, Len? No. From what I was uh, told yesterday, yeah. it's interesting because I was wondering whether the CBP officers were going to enforce this new law. And I was told by many officers that I know, including one who came in to see, see him in my office this morning to say hi, they're not the vaccination police. So am I surprised that they're not asking? Yes, but it's typical. So I don't think Canadians are going to be asked, despite this being the new law. Hmm. Interesting. Roger in Surrey. Hi, Roger. Hi, Mike. Uh, you know, one thing I find really frustrating is my brother-in-law is a pharmacist. Uh, he works at Shoppers Drug Mart, and the rapid test costs Shoppers Drug Mart ten dollars, but they charge a hundred and fifty dollars. Like I think one of the reasons things are so frustrating and cost prohibitive is people are making money off these PCR uh, off these rapid tests. I can understand for the PCR test, it requires a little bit more okay, uh, work to get it done. But thanks, Ro- thank you, Roger, for the call. Okay, but the rapid test is not is not acceptable coming back though. Is that correct, Len? Just got thirty seconds here. Well, as far as I know, it's a PCR test, but I'm yeah. not the expert because I haven't been north for a year and a half. Len, thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. All right, welcome back to the show. Those horrifying deaths at that Travis Scott concert in Houston Friday night have shocked the world of popular music. Eight people dead, hundreds injured. This story getting more tragic by the day now including reports a nine-year-old boy severely injured in the crush of people that swarmed toward the stage. That young boy fighting for his life in hospital now. I've got the great Vancouver music manager, Bruce Allen, standing by. First, have a listen to this report now from CBS News reporter Laura Podesta. An emotional vigil at Southern Illinois University Carbondale, where a student was identified as one of the eight victims of the recent tragedy at the Astro World Music Festival in Houston, Texas. Rapper Travis Scott and organizers of the event are now facing lawsuits over the deadly stampede. We're trying to make things change in this type of events because it could have, today is me. I lost my son. It could be you. 21-year-old Axel Acosta was trampled to death, according to the family's attorney. That this concert was planned incredibly poorly, that no regard was given to the safety of these young people at the concert, that there was no emergency response mechanism in place to help those who were in an extremist situation. The FBI is now providing technical assistance in the criminal investigation into the tragedy. One of the questions they're trying to answer, could the festival have been stopped sooner by Travis Scott himself? Video shows the rapper did pause briefly to get help for someone in the crowd. We need somebody to help him. Somebody passed out right here. He eventually continued on with the show. 
Scott says he's cooperating with authorities. He's canceled an upcoming appearance at a festival in Las Vegas and says he'll pay for all of the victims' funerals. Laura Podesta, CBS News. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Vancouver music manager Bruce Allen, well-known to CKNW listeners. He's guided the careers of Brian Adams, Michael Buble, so many other big stars. I'm pleased to welcome him. We reached him in Las Vegas today. Hey, Bruce. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for doing this. And, Bruce, for a guy, a veteran guy like you in the music business, I mean, this has got to be the worst nightmare for anyone involved in this business with this these type of deaths at an event like this. What went through your mind when you heard about this one? Well, what's going through my mind in a funny way is I've seen it all before. I mean, I, I was there with, uh, with Backman Turner Overdrive and that uh, when uh, we had that problem or the, coup, the who had that problem in Cincinnati at Riverfront Coliseum and all of us had to change the way we did uh, we did uh, shows. But, uh, you know, after that, uh, the, the GA floor kind of disappeared. And uh, I think what we're going to see now with this is that uh, before people do shows outside in festivals like that, there's going to have to be some sit-downs with the, with the people, with the promoters and, and the artists and say this is the way it's going to be and somebody's going to have to lay down the law because uh, Travis Scott, I mean, you got to remember who you're dealing with here. Travis Scott, he's been he's been arrested two times for trying to incite a riot in, in, in concert shows. This isn't new. Uh, and uh, people... The people at a show like that, what we're having, the problems we're having in our industry right now, Mike, and this is important, is we don't have enough people there to staff these buildings. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I think even in the Canuck games, it's tough because people got fired or with, with the COVID started, they lost their jobs, and they don't want to come back, a lot of them, coming back to those jobs. And I, and I thought that I watched the pictures of the, stu- of the people running right through the gates, no security, no nothing, nobody checking ID, IDs, nobody checking for whether they've been vaccinated or not, just running right through running run through is a madhouse it's like woodstock okay back yeah. in the 70s at, at that it was like that and so there was there was just nothing going on there were short staffed and the short staffed is the, is the problem they just can't man the gates they can't man security and uh, and this is what come, this is what comes of that have you ever seen something like this personally up close i mean you've been involved in a lot of big concerts a lot of big events have you ever seen a crowd that looks scary or out of control yeah, I have, and, and, and fortunately, I've, I've dealt with a couple of acts who, who, who knew how to handle it, and I mean, they, we just stopped the show. Really, you stop wow. it, and you say, okay, listen, everybody move back, move back. Every, take a step backwards. I've seen it lots of times and said, listen, if you don't move back, then we're not going to play anymore. So let's move back and let's let's look after the people next year. But this is a weirder this is a weirder crowd there. This is a rap crowd, and that and that's that's different than what I was ever dealing with. And I think that I think that I think that there's the, the I think that I think that this is going to ricochet all through all through the business, and we all are going to pay a price for it. Now there'll be a whole bunch of new rules for us, and uh, and, and of course the uh, the first one of course will be again it'll get back to uh, general admission in in concerts and stuff like that. But even in general admission now. My in indoor venues, normal shows, they don't fill the floor from front to back. There's a number that can go on there, and so it's a lot better. You don't get that crush. But when you're starting doing outdoor festivals, believe me, there's 100,000 people here in Vegas, too, just two or three weeks ago to first show, and nothing happened. It was done very well, but it was done inside a speedway, too, which is good because there's lots of stands up there for people to see. So I, I, I just think that uh, you know the whole industry is going to change. 18, 18 lawsuits right now, and there's going to be more. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be a big headache for Live Nation and everything else, everybody else who was involved, and, and, and it will all filter down to us. Speaking of Vancouver music manager Bruce Allen about the deadly Travis Scott show in Houston on Friday night. So, Bruce, do you think that Travis Scott 
should have stopped this show or someone should have stopped the show a lot sooner. His manager, the security people, somebody like he briefly did uh, say, can someone get some help here? But then the show went on for like 40 minutes. Oh, yeah. He said, can we get some help here? Because he was talking about a girl who was probably 10 feet in front of him. Okay, he can see that. He can't see what's going on in the back. Yes, he can see lights flashing and stuff and so on and so forth. But somebody has to get the word to him. And somebody should have, in reality, just killed the sound system. Right. Killed it. Right. And how does that work? Like, I assume there's a communication system that's going on. Like, if you're a security official official, and you see there's a deadly, dangerous situation ongoing on, someone has the authority to, to pull the plug and stop this show, right? Like, it's not up to Travis Scott to stop the show, or can the manager stop it? I, I think I think that either can, okay, but they got to yeah. get the word out what's going on. And the trouble with the managers and us, we're backstage too. We can't really see what's going on out there. You're dealing with 50,000 people here, not 18,000 people in an arena. So it's a little bit different. You can't really see what's going on back there. But somebody should have got the word out somehow. But right. because because of the cutbacks in security, because of the cutdown, cutbacks in the police, number of police at these shows, I, don't, I, I, think, I think they missed it completely, just missed it. And, it, and it's going to have to be fixed before they see more of those shows down in Texas. Okay, the lawsuits are flying, as you mentioned. Travis Scott is being sued. Drake is being sued. Live Nation, the promoter here, is being sued, this big American entertainment company. I I imagine you've worked a lot with Live Nation. You must have, I'm a big believer in Live Nation. I'm a Live Nation fan. I think they do great jobs and uh, great shows, and they've always been good to me. And uh, I I have no complaint with them. They're they're a classy outfit. This is just uh, uh, an anathema out there. It's just an odd thing that happened, and it's in a difficult, difficult situation. A difficult situation, the big thing I want to get across in these times, Mike, because we don't have the staffing anymore that we used to have at these buildings right and you mentioned earlier about the the seating arrangements at a show like this general admission or what i i used to i remember people calling it festival seating where you'd go in there'd be no reserved no reserved seats you just go in and you can in some cases it's standing room is that the problem here when you have a standing room only crowd like when you take a look at this facility they could have fit like 200,000 people in there but they capped it at 50,000 and they also said well there were lots of exits that people could escape from but man when you've got like a general admission situation and a huge crowd like that crushing the stage i mean do you think they should have seen something like that coming yeah, and what you see in Europe, and people who deal with this a little more often than we do, because they have a very big festival scene over there, is there's barriers all the way down. Okay, so every 10 yards maybe of a football field, there's barriers all across the stage, all across the, the building, all across the, the, the turf, all across whatever. So there's these gaps. They can only put so many, they put so many people in there, and then it stops. Nobody else can get in there, you know, and that, that's pretty good. But this place, they didn't have that at all either. There's a lot of different things that you can do, but they just don't have the people. Mike, I wanna, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry I'm sitting on that thing, but it's the people yeah. are just not doing a good enough job, and we can see it indoors and outdoors on these shows that we're in right now. Well, you could see that very early on in the day on Friday, like as this went on for a long time at around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That's when you saw those viral videos of people streaming past these so-called security barriers yeah, that look yeah. that look very flimsy. I mean, people were able to just break through and run into the show. So it's estimated that who knows, maybe 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 there were 55,000 people in there, like thousands of people who didn't have tickets were able to br- break through these so-called barriers and I wonder if that you think maybe that was a lack of lack of staff, lack of security staff there. 
Absolutely, lack of staff, yeah. lack of security, lack of everything, and 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 uh, this this turned into Woodstock where everybody got in free. You know that as well as I do, and uh, it's just it's it's just a nightmare for the industry, and uh, it's really going to take some thought how we're going to c- handle this in the future. There's yeah. a lot of outdoor shows and that coming up, as you know, in the summer. Speaking of a nightmare for this industry, this is an industry that was it was the first to shut down because of COVID. It was the last to reopen. The music, the live music industry has taken an absolute pounding here. And then you have a tragedy like this. Now you've got, there's a word of a petition online right now to ban Travis Scott from some future gigs he has coming up, including at the big Coachella festival after this event. Like you mentioned, this is a guy who a couple of times was actually charged with inciting a riot. Like he had people, yeah. he had people in his crowd and he was, he was saying, yeah, give a finger to the security, just encouraging people to, you know, kind of defy security as his events. And he was actually charged in some cases for this. I mean, do you think, do you think this guy should pay a penalty in any way? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. That's too, that's yeah. too dicey for me to de- deal with. But I mean, th- there's there is a way to conduct yourself on the stage, and there's a, a, a and there's a way to not have to have a and not be allowed to have things that are in a way civil disobedience. So, I mean, there's no excuse for that thing. I don't think on stage. I don't I don't get it. It's it's, it's just it's just wrong. But hey, I feel guys, I, I hear you're supposed to come to Vegas. I think next show. I think it was coming up. That show's canceled. I hear, and I guess there's going to be the other ones canceled along the way now. I feel bad for Drake because Drake was there. He was brought up on stage as kind of a surprise guest by Travis Scott. And now Drake is being sued as well. I'm not sure, you know, you can pin any of the blame on him. Hey, remember, Travis, Travis opened for Drake when he played in Vancouver. Wow, right. Yeah, That's not that long ago. Yeah. I mean, these guys are buddies. That's the only reason he's, that, he's there, you know. All right. Yeah. So if you could go back in time, if we had a time machine and you could go back before this tragedy happened... And and you were in charge, Bruce, and you were making the call. Would you have you know done the red card on this show and say, look, you know, can't pull the plug, stop the music, turn the lights up, show's over. Live Nation, one of the best companies, production companies in the world. Okay, and I'm sure that they did everything they can they could to have a safe show. Okay, I, things get out of control, and that happens. And 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 I, I I don't know where to lay the blame here, but I think a lot big part of the blame is on Travis Scott. Period. And also now the FBI has been called in too because there was a lot of bad drugs going around too. Apparently now we're hearing that now, Mike. Bruce, thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it today. Take care. All right, welcome back to the show. It's a shoplifting crackdown by the Vancouver Police Department. Downtown merchants have been pleading for help on this issue as theft and shoplifting seems to be getting more brazen by the day. The VPD announcing yesterday 32 arrests, 71 charges, $18,000 in stolen property recovered. I got Sergeant Steve Addison standing by from the VPD. First, have a listen to this. This is Nolan Marshall. CEO of the Downtown Business Improvement Association, talking about shoplifting here with their own Simi Sarah. Have a listen. It's incredibly frustrating. These are small business owners mostly uh, who invest a lot in their business, and they've gone through a lot over the past 18 months just to stay in business. It can be demoralizing, but even more, it can be a real hit to the bottom line. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Sergeant Steve Addison, spokesperson for the Vancouver Police Department. I'm pleased to welcome him back. Sergeant Addison, thank you for coming on today. No problem, Mike. Okay, what can you tell us about this uh, shoplifting crackdown? 
Yeah, so there has been a, a real significant increase in uh, what we call violent shoplifting incidents in the city over the last couple of years. A 550% increase in cases of people using violence while they're committing thefts. Things like knives, needles, bear spray, physical force while they're trying to steal product from stores. Um, as Nolan Marshall said, it's frustrating, it's demoralizing. Uh, it puts people who are uh, staffing stores, small business owners, at uh, significant risk. So we're doing what we can to try to address the problem. And uh, that means we are we are taking a more proactive approach to try, try to target uh, not only chronic shoplifters, but people who are using violence while they're uh, stealing from stores throughout the city. Okay, so when we look at the scale of the police action on this one, you have 32 arrests, 71 charges, $18,000 in stolen property recovered. I mean, how would you quantify those numbers? Is this just scratching the surface of this problem? Oh, 100%. It's just scratching the surface. And we know uh, without a doubt that uh, shoplifting, theft under is uh, a vastly underreported crime. We do tend to get uh, get uh, incidents reported to us when there is violence, but we know from speaking to business leaders, from store owners, from staff, that um, they're experiencing thefts every day that they're not reporting to us. We want people to call us when crime happens so that we can properly investigate because a lot of times it's quite easy for us to identify suspects who have committed these crimes, but unless we find out about it, unless somebody calls us, we can't investigate. Okay, when you recover $18,000 worth of product, that doesn't sound like a, a lot. Like, when stuff is stolen, does it get fenced and turn around and resold pretty quickly? Yeah, so a lot of the crimes that we're seeing, the, the chronic shoplifting is being done by people who uh, are taking the product and then uh, reselling it, often for pennies on the dollar, uh, in the illicit market, we're seeing a lot of it turn up uh, in the downtown east side, on East Hastings Street, uh, in the little street markets that uh, that uh, um, are in the downtown east side, and that is really uh, fueling uh, a lot of the uh, the challenges that we're seeing for small business owners as well as uh, larger businesses uh, throughout the city. Right. Speaking of Sergeant Steve Addison from the Vancouver Police Department, what about this couple that stole all the pants? What, what was the deal there? Yeah, so uh, two people wearing masks walked into a, a fairly high-end retail store on Robson Street last Friday. Uh, they were observed stealing 47 pairs of pants worth almost $6,000. An alert staff member phoned 911. Our police officers were able to attend and arrest them. Um, they wow. both went to jail. I can tell you right now that just last night, uh, one of the men who was involved in that offense uh, was rearrested by the VPD. Uh, he was released from jail on Sunday. Uh, he went to another department store on Robson Street, stole over seven hundred thousand, or sorry, seven hundred dollars of uh, cosmetics. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, again, us being phoned by an alert staff member who saw the crime, we were able to rearrest him, and now he's back in jail. Just two days after he was released from the initial crime. Okay, so he's back in jail, and then what? He's going to get out tomorrow and go back stealing again. Is that what's going to happen? Or, Well, listen, um, it's easy to be outraged um, when we hear about people who are uh, arrested and released and rearrested again. It's right. easy to be angry at the criminal justice system because this man was released. But there, in, in reality, we have to ask, is, is jail really going to solve the complex social problems that we're dealing with with a lot of these people? They're dealing with addiction, mental illness, poverty issues. So... While it's frustrating uh, it, to see somebody cycled in and out of the justice system, it's just as frustrating to see how 
a person like this and others are really slipping through the cracks in the social system. We know there's millions of dollars, probably billions of dollars that are pumped into the social system to help people like this. And yet we continue to see people who are fumbling their way through um, the system, uh, continuing to come into contact with police uh, for crimes uh, that are in large part as a result of some of these very complex social needs that they're they're dealing with. So, so from the from the point of view of the Vancouver Police Department, what do you think should be the answer to something like that? It, it sounds like you're making a case for you know there should be more more social services like their mental health, uh, addiction recovery services, housing. I mean, do you think that would help it solve it? Well, like Nolan Marshall was saying to Simi Sarah this morning, these are complex issues. They're complicated issues. Mental health, housing poverty. Uh, these aren't issues that cropped up overnight. They've uh, come to a slow boil for a number of years, and we're not going to solve the issues overnight. Um, certainly uh, uh, arresting people and charging them when they commit crimes is yeah. uh, a short, uh, is a, is a, is a stopgap solution, but we need to start looking at uh, what's fueling these um, uh, fueling these crimes. What's the, right. what are the social issues behind uh, behind these uh, these thefts that are occurring? Okay. Speaking of Nolan Marshall, CEO of the Downtown Business Improvement Association, as you mentioned, he was on with our own Simi Sarah this morning, uh, talking about uh, the the justice system in particular. Let's play a clip of that, uh, uh, Steve, and get your thoughts on it. Here's Nolan Marshall. You need to have a consistent police presence and response, and that would be one part of it. The second part of it is we've seen that these crimes are being committed by people who are repeat offenders. And so we as a community need to start holding the criminal justice system accountable for reducing recidivism. We can't we can't have people uh, cycled in and out of the system, whether it be for 24 hours, they're held or 30 days or six months and then come right back out on the streets and commit these types of these types of crimes. And so the justice system itself has to be held accountable for reducing that recidivism. Okay, so talking about the, the revolving door that we're, we're all familiar with, speaking to Sergeant Steve Addison from the Vancouver Police Department, I mean, what are your thoughts on that as we see the, the repeat offenders over and over again? I'm sure it's very frustrating for police to be arresting the same people over and over again for the same crimes. Yeah, it's frustrating for police. It's also frustrating for small business owners and staff members, um, workers, many of whom are just working their first jobs to see the same people coming in day after day, stealing products from them, and now seeing a, a, an increase in violence and people using things like needles and bear spray and knives and makeshift weapons in order to get away with their thefts. So jail is uh, a temporary solution, but it's not a permanent fix. And we know, we know we're not going to be able to arrest or incarcerate our way out of this problem when we're dealing dealing with very complicated issues, things like drug addiction, things like mental health, untreated mental health issues, uh, housing issues, and poverty. Okay, we, we recently heard from Mayor Kennedy Stewart pointing to some of the crime statistics in the city and saying that actually crime is going down in Vancouver. It's actually getting better. But when we talk about these type of crimes, these repeat offenders, and also the violent nature of some of the shoplifting and theft that is going on, I mean, do we see any, can you point to any statistics that show that some of these, this violent shoplifting, is that increasing? Well, the cases of violent shoplifting have gone up 550% since 2019. Uh, that's wow. citywide. Um, robberies during that time have gone, commercial robberies have gone up 126% during that time. 
Now, we know that a lot of these crimes are uh, underreported, and we know all statistics. If you look at crime stats, certainly they serve a purpose, but they only tell part of the story. Uh, You may look at certain stats and believe that crime uh, may have either gone up or may have gone down, depending on the category that you're looking at. But what we you also need to account for is the number of incidents that are uh, underreported or not reported at all. And we're hearing over and over again, whether it be from small business owners or uh, or residents or people that call into your show, businesses that call into your show, that they've experienced crimes, uh, that um, they are concerned for what they perceive to be a decreasing level of public safety, particularly in the downtown core. And because of that, we're doing what we can as a police agency to address those concerns. Steve Addison, thank Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, sorry, Mike, and, and this, this initiative um, that we've been talking about over the last number of days with regards to uh, apprehending violent shoplifters and chronic offenders is just uh, one more step that we're trying to take to address the concerns of the community. Right. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. You bet, Mike.